I invite you to Ezekiel 37 uh, for a text this morning. We will look specifically at verses 1 through 14. But this passage is perhaps one of the more famous passages in the book of Ezekiel. It's the story of the dry bones. But even though it's one of the perhaps more famous in this book, I do not believe it's been preached from this pulpit more than maybe twice in the last 10 years. And so, uh, with God's help, I'd like for us to look at this passage this morning. It's not only my prayer for myself, as we're going into another year, but it's also my prayer for us as a congregation that God would pour into our lives the breath of life. The breath of life. And then we would become heralds of hope as individuals and as a congregation. Heralds of hope that speak into seemingly hopeless situations, offering them the living breath that comes from God's Spirit. Follow along as I read Ezekiel 37, verses 1 through 14. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and carried me out in the Spirit of the Lord, and set me down in the midst of the valley, which was full of bones, and caused me to pass by them round about, and behold, there were very many in the open valley, and lo, they were very dry. And he said unto me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, thou knowest. Again he said unto me, Prophesy upon these bones, and say unto them, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God unto these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter into you, and ye shall live. <clears throat> and I will lay sinews upon you, and will bring up flesh upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and ye shall live, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a noise, and behold, a shaking, and the bones came together, bone to his bone. Or in other words, they connected in their proper order. <laughs> and when I beheld, lo, the sinews and the flesh came up upon them, and the skin covered them above but there was no breath in them. Then said he unto me, Prophesy unto the wind, prophesy, son of man, and say to the wind, Thus saith the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, 
and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood up upon their feet, an exceeding great army. Then he said unto me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried, and our hope is lost. We are cut off for our parts. Therefore prophesy and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. And ye shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up out of your graves and shall put my spirit in you and ye shall live and I shall place you in your own land. Then shall ye know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it, saith the Lord. I've entitled this message, The Breath of Life. The Breath of Life. Our lesson this morning is simple, but it's very profound. And that is this. It is only through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit that God's people experience life. Let me repeat that. It is only through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit that God's people experience life. I want you to note two contrasting pictures. We see the one in verse 8, and we see the one in verse 10. But you notice in verse 8, you have these bones, they had come together. And now the bones had formed a skeleton. And now upon that skeleton, uh, tendons, ligaments, connected the bones all nicely in place, and then flesh came up upon those skeletons until those bodies were complete. And so all of a sudden you have from this valley that was once full of dry bones, you now have this valley is now full of bodies. Bodies that look perfect. Everything looks wonderful. A quick glance would say we've got a valley full of sleeping soldiers. And yet we have a very real problem. And the problem is they're just corpses. There is no life. Everything looks right, but there's no life. Verse 10, you have now a whole army of bodies that life 
has been breathed into them. And it says, they lived and stood up on their feet an exceeding great army. Two contrasting pictures. Very similar in many ways, and yet one foundational difference. And that is breath. That is life. That is spirit. I want, I want you to get that this morning, dear people. Because you can look ever so right. And you can follow all the rules of the church. And, and we, can, we can go about our, our worship all the right way. We can go through life by the book, as it were. And to the casual observer, everything looks great. We can fool a lot of people. But dear people, if we do not have the Holy Spirit alive and well in our lives, it is absolutely pointless. We are nothing but a bunch of corpses. The power to please God, the power to live effectively, comes through the Holy Spirit dwelling in our lives. Now, I'd like to highlight two key words before we go into our outline here this morning. The first is the Hebrew word ruach. And this is perhaps the most important word in this whole passage. Ruach. We find this word ten different times. Twice, it's listed as spirit. Five times, it's listed as breath. Three times, it's listed as wind. It's all the same Hebrew word, ruach. Spirit, breath, wind. Without ruach in this passage, it's nothing but death. Another key word that we must notice is the Hebrew word kaya. We find this word six times in this passage. It is the verb to live. It's in verse 3. Can these bones live? Verse 5. And ye shall live. Verse 6. And ye shall live. Verse 9, that they may live. Verse 10, and they lived. Verse 14, and ye shall live. Kaya, to live. And so those two words are key to this passage. Ruach, spirit, breath, wind, and kaya. To live. Now, let's break down the passage in this way this morning. First, we'll note the reality. Secondly, the response. Thirdly, the responsibility. And lastly, the result. Reality, response, responsibility, and result. We find the reality here, reality here in verses 1 and 2. 
Now, Ezekiel was a man who had at least four visions. We have them recorded here in the book of Ezekiel. This is the third of four uh, that's recorded. But here it says that the hand of the Lord took him out, carried him out in the spirit of the Lord, the Ruach of the Lord, and set him down in the midst of a valley. Now, a valley symbolized a place where battles were fought. If you read through the Old Testament, read stories of battles that were fought, they were often fought in open valleys. That's where armies met to fight. Think about where Goliath was calling for a challenge, and David met him in the valley. But here, this story takes place in the midst of a valley. And this valley was full of bones. Now, it's very obvious from this story that an army had been devastated here. And it wasn't just a small army, but it was a rather large army. And we know that from later in this passage, when these bones came together and life was breathed into them, uh, the scripture here says that there stood up an exceeding great army, or a vast army. This was not just a few guys tussling, but a very large army had been devastated in this valley. Ezekiel was made, the scripture says here he was caused, <clears throat> we would say he was made or forced, to walk around this valley, to walk all through these bones, to walk around these bones, and to take a really good look at them. In fact, it says here, he was caused to pass by them round about. Literally, to pass by them round about means he was to circle them, and it implies that he was to circle them perhaps multiple times. God made him to do this. God made him to circle these bones, circle this valley, go all through this valley. God wanted him to take a really good look at the devastation here. God wanted him to look at it from all angles. Note the quantity of these bones. The scripture says, verse 2, there were very many, and I notice the words that Ezekiel uses. It says, behold, there were very many in the open valley. He exclaims, like, wow, this is an awful lot of bones. But then also notice the quality of the bones. And once again he exclaims, and lo, they were very dry. It's like it kind of took him by surprise. Wow, this is a lot of bones, and my, they are so dry. They've been here a mighty long time. These bones were not still colored with some moisture. These bones were bleached bones. These bones were chalky bones. 
They had been exposed to the sun and to the elements for many years, perhaps. Life had long departed from these bones. And then the bodies of this devastated army had been ravaged and ripped apart and devoured by wild animals, by wild birds. And so I want you to think about that because later these bones came together, bone to bone. Now, you know how it works when wild animals and wild birds uh, start picking and eating uh, dead things. They'll drag them around. And, And the skeletons were not just nicely laying out. All right, each little pile of bones to themselves. But I imagine that the bones were mixed up somewhat. Okay? The bones were scattered around. They weren't in neat piles, each to his own. But these bodies had been ravaged and ripped apart and devoured and bones strewn around. And and what flesh was left had rotted away until all that remained were just skeletons and bones scattered all over the valley floor. This was the reality. This really was what was. (laughs) Oh, it was a vision, and yet this was the real part. See, there's nothing in this picture that promises even a scant chance of hope. There's nothing in this picture that gives even a little bit, a glimpse of promise of life. It's a picture of defeat. It's a picture of devastation. It's a picture of hopelessness. But dear people, it's reality. It's reality. I want you to ponder that. There's nothing about this picture that looks hopeful, but it's reality. Let's think about the response from Ezekiel. We find this in verse 3. I believe Ezekiel had seen enough. I don't know how long he walked around. I don't know how long the Lord caused him to circle those bones, but I believe before long he had seen enough. In fact, he probably saw more than he wanted to see. And maybe he came to his conclusion about the matter quite quickly. And maybe this was what he said. I'm just surmising a bit here. Yeah, I tell you, this is not a good thing. Uh, This is tragic. I mean, this is even heartbreaking. And this is a situation where you're just not going to want to waste your time over. I mean, you just don't want to overthink scenes like this. You simply want to move on to others that show at least a glimmer of promise. You know, we need to choose our battles, but this one is pointless because it's beyond help. It's hopeless. And so we're not going to waste our time with this one. Yeah, it's, it's a tragic situation, and it's heartbreaking. 
but we're going to move on to a situation that, that at least shows a little bit of hope. You know, Ezekiel maybe had made up his mind, as we often do ourselves. But it was in that moment that God poised the question, can these bones live? Can these bones live? Why did God ask that question? Do you think God wasn't sure? you think God needed someone else's opinion on the matter? Why did God ask that question? You see, God brings us face to face with devastating scenes of reality. Not because he's weary and exasperated and needs the opinion of someone else. Not for the purpose of causing us to throw our hands up in discouragement. But he brings us face to face with devastating scenes of reality in order to increase our faith. It's not about discouragement, dear people. It's about development. God brings us face to face with reality in order to develop us. In order to grow us. In order to build us in the faith. Our response to reality proves who is at the steering wheel of our lives. Is it faith? Or is it feeling? Our response proves that. I will also say that our response to reality reveals what we think about God and his ability. Our response to reality reveals what we think about God and what he is capable of doing. And so Ezekiel is faced with this seemingly hopeless (coughs) situation. And God then poises the question, Ezekiel, son of man, can these bones live? You know, Ezekiel was stuck between a rock and a hard place, as it were. I believe his spirit was willing. I believe his spirit was willing to believe because he was a man of faith. Ezekiel was a priest. Ezekiel was passionate about God, about the things of God, about the holiness of God. I believe his spirit was willing to believe God, but I believe his flesh was weak. And so he chose the safe way out. He said, Lord, thou knowest. You know, I really believe that down in his heart, at least in his flesh, I'll put it that way, I believe as he looked at that scene, Ezekiel said, there ain't no way. There ain't no way bones like that can live. And yet he didn't have the strength to tell God that. Does that feel familiar? It does to me. You look at situations and you say, that's an absolute no-go. 
And yet, the way we respond to reality reveals what we think about God and what we think about his capabilities. And God asked a question. He asked it to Abraham. He also asked it to Jeremiah. He asked the same question. He said, is there anything too hard for me? And the question was asked in order to tell those men, there is absolutely nothing too hard for me. There is nothing too difficult for God. God is able to do what we look at as impossible. I like how the New Living Translation gives Ezekiel's response. O sovereign Lord, you alone know the answer to that. You alone know the answer to that. And so, for the believer, I believe that a response of faith in the midst of seemingly hopeless scenes of reality, a response of faith will lead to fresh responsibility. And maybe even that alone can, uh, can keep us at bay sometimes. <laughs> you see? Because when we, when we step out in faith and say, oh yes, God, you can do that, we know that in the back of our minds, God works through people, right? <clears throat> and so... When we say, oh, yeah, God, I have faith that you can do that, we're basically saying, sign me up. (laughs) I'm helping. For the believer, a response of faith will lead to fresh responsibility. In fact, a response of faith will simultaneously open your ear to hear the call of God. And we find that in Ezekiel's story. And let's notice here the responsibility You notice that Ezekiel responds, O Lord God, thou knowest. And immediately, God gives him a responsibility. We find this in verses 4 through 7 and also 9 through 10. But this responsibility is my part. This is my part to play, okay? And soon we'll look at the result And that's God's part. That's where God demonstrates his power. But the responsibility is my part. But God told Ezekiel here not only what to do, but also what to say. And look here in verse 4. He said what to do? Prophesy upon these bones. Verse 9, he also says, prophesy unto the wind. Or, Ezekiel, I want you to speak prophetic words. Prophecy, or prophesy, is to predict with assurance. The Lord says thus will happen. You are predicting with assurance. You are prophesying. And so God is saying, this is what you are to do, Ezekiel. You are to prophesy upon these bones. 
he also tells him what he is to say. He says, verse 4, Say unto them, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This word here has the meaning of to hear intelligently. It implies careful attention being given. It implies obedience. And so God is commanding Ezekiel to do what seemed pointless. He's now supposed to prophesy, to preach, as it were, to hopeless, dead Dry, bleached bones. That feels rather pointless at the time, I'm sure. But along with that, God promised that He would do the impossible. He would bring the bones back to life. But Ezekiel was called to prophesy to them. Ezekiel was called to preach the word of God to the bones. To take the word of life to what was dead. Can you do that, Ezekiel? And I ask you this morning, can you do that? You see, too often when, when God causes something like that, we say, but, but I, don't, I don't know how to fix their problem. I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to do that. I... Hold it. God didn't tell Ezekiel that he had to be a counselor. God didn't tell Ezekiel that he's going to have to go to Liberty and take seminary. God didn't go. No, he said, preach the word to them. Prophesy to them. Hear the word of the Lord. That's your job. But he promised that he would do the rest. That he would do the impossible And that is bring life to that. You see, the responsibility is our part. The results are God's part. Hebrews 4 verse 12. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a, is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Or the word of God is alive and effective. The word of God is eli- alive and effective. Isaiah 55, 10 and 11. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and returns not thither, but it waters the earth and makes it bring forth and bud that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. Okay, so he's using an illustration here. God sends moisture down from heaven, not just for any old reason. Not just because he wants to make us wet. Not just because he wants to change things up. No, but it's it's purposeful. He sends moisture from heaven for the purpose of 
watering the earth and causing it to give life. (coughs) Causing it to, what does it say? Bring forth and bud so that it gives seed to the sower and ultimately gives bread to the eater. You see? Growth, growth that brings fruit, that feeds people. Everything is purposeful. And then he goes on and says, So shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. And so, dear people, not only is the word of God alive, but the word of God imparts life. The word of God is life-giving. You understand what I'm saying? I want to notice here in this passage that breath equals life. Over and over we find that. Breath equals life. Notice verse 5. Verse 5. I will cause breath to enter into you and ye shall live. Verse 6. I will put breath in you and ye shall live. Verse 9. Breathe upon these slain that they may live. Verse 10. And breath came into them and they lived. Verse 14. And shall put my spirit in you and ye shall live. You see, when the Spirit of God is within a person, there is life there. And once again, it is only through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit that God's people experience life. When God's Spirit is there, There is life. And when God's spirit is not there, there is not life. In fact, Paul makes it very clear, I think in Romans chapter 8, one verse, that he says something to that very effect. When the spirit is there, there is life. If the spirit of God is not there, there, you are not one of his, or something to that effect. It is the spirit of God within a man that identifies us with Jesus Christ. Breath equals life. And so Ezekiel had a responsibility to be a herald of hope, as it were. To present the word of life to what seemed so hopeless. I ask you this morning, are you being faithful in sharing the word of life? Are you being purposeful about that, sharing the word of life. God is calling us to that. That's not just simply for the preachers. Instead, it's for everyone who has named the name of Christ to faithfully then share the word of life. God is calling you to do that, and he promises to make something from it. I'm challenged by Ezekiel's example of obedience to God's command. Notice verse 7 and verse 10. So I prophesied 
as I was commanded. Verse 10, so I prophesied as he commanded me. Once again, God said, Ezekiel, I want you to do this. And Ezekiel says, yes, Lord. And he did. And he did. And look at the results. I notice in verse 7 it says then, And as I prophesied, <laughs> there was a noise. <clears throat> as he stepped out in faith and obedience and preached to those dead bones, something started happening. There was a noise. And there was a rattling The early stages of life started happening. Verse 10, as I prophesied, I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath came in unto them. And so let's notice, yep, the results. The results, once again, the responsibility was Ezekiel's part. The results, well, that's God's part. It's a demonstration of God's power. And we notice this in verses 7 through 8 and also verse 10. But it says there in verses 7 and 8, As I prophesied, there was a noise, and behold, a shaking. Or that word is actually translated earthquake in some places. Or, or strong wind or storm. And so it's... There was quite a commotion. Just, just think for a moment. This is a valley full of bones. Enough bones to create the bodies of a vast army. Think about the noise. Because these were dry bones. If you guys go hunting and sometimes use rattling antlers, okay? Think about that. But think about that happening by the thousands. Think if... Thousands of men were rattling in a big buck at the same time in the same valley. <laughs> okay, don't think about that anymore. <clears throat> but I'm just saying, this was noisy, okay? This was amazing. <laughs> there was a noise, and there was a shaking. And bones came together, bone to his bone. You know, a lot of times, maybe this passage... Uh, is looked at in a humorous light, which there is some humor to it. I mean, no doubt there is, and there's been some, some humorous songs written about it. Um, it would have been quite something to be Ezekiel, to put it lightly, and to observe that. But this passage really is not funny at all. It's actually very serious and very sobering. It's, it's, about, it's about life. It's about life. It's really not about jokes. Um, but notice then what it goes on to read in verse 8. And when I beheld, lo, the sinews or the tendons, the ligaments, and the flesh came up upon these skeletons, and the skin covered them. The skin covered them. Okay. Now, once again, let's look at verse 10. What else did God do? So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood up upon their feet, an exceeding great army. 
Okay, that's power. That's life. They're ready for action. Ready to get something done. Once again, I just can't help but note the contrast here and the differences that breath. It reminds me of that verse in Genesis chapter 2 when God says that God formed Adam out of the dust of the ground. I mean, can you, can you picture that? Uh, did, he, did he stoop down actually and like form him? Like, I don't know. But God formed Adam out of the dust of the ground, and you could just stop at that point and say, there for a moment, Adam was simply a corpse, a beautiful, perfect body, but there was no life. And then the scripture goes on to say, and God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. That is beautiful. God the Father, God the Creator, stooping down and performing divine CPR, as it were, on Adam. He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. The difference that the Holy Spirit, the difference that that breath of life makes in us today. Notice the progression of God's power demonstrated here. There was a sound, and then there was a shaking, and then skin came upon, and then spirit, breath, soul came, and then they stood up. Can't help to notice that. The progression of God's power demonstrated step at a time, step at a time, step at a time, until, wow, there they are, a vast army ready for action. And the results all point to God. He receives all the glory. In fact, I noticed that three times in this passage, we have the phrase, and ye shall know. When I have done this, ye shall know. Notice this, verse 6. And put breath in you, and ye shall live, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. Verse 13. And ye shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves. Verse 14. And shall put my spirit in you, and ye shall live and I shall place you in your own land, then shall ye know that I, the Lord, have spoken it. Three times, God says, when I do what I do, you will know that I'm the Lord. You will know that it's about me. <laughs> I found this interesting. So I was thinking about that, and I was just kind of, Flipping through the passages here surrounding this, and I notice that actually in chapters 34 through 39, they all end that way. In those chapters here in Ezekiel, God is telling Ezekiel, God is telling the people what he will do for them. And in every chapter, just note that real quickly. It's so neat. These are things I love when I'm studying my Bible to, to find these little nuggets. But at the end of chapter 34, 
verse 30, Thus shall they know that I, the Lord their God, am with them, and so on and so forth. They'll know that. Verse chapter 35, last verse, 15, And they shall know that I am the Lord. That's how that chapter ends. Verse 30, chapter 36, verse 38, it ends by saying, And they shall know that I am the Lord. Chapter 37. <clears throat> 28. And the heathen shall know that I, the Lord, do sanctify Israel. Chapter 38. Verse 23. And they shall know that I am the Lord. <laughs> Chapter 39. Verse 28. Then shall they know that I am the Lord their God. I just couldn't help but notice that. You know, God says, I'm going to do all these things for you people. But it's to show my glory. It's not about you. It's not anything that you can do. But it's to show my glory. Here recently we were having a lifeline staff email discussion and uh, you realize maybe that Andy Korber is on our our staff is one of the associate editors and in one of our discussions Andy brought this out he said this is something that he noticed recently in some of his Bible study and I'll just read what he said it seems that God's number one desire is that people recognize him for who he is he is eternal he is ever-present. He is sovereign. He is the I Am. Throughout the prophets, God's cry for His people was for them to recognize Him. Jesus' cry for the Jewish people was that they would recognize Him, if in no other way that they at least admit that His miracles were works of God. And that was fascinating to me because I hadn't really thought about that before. But God's number one desire throughout the scriptures, is that people would recognize him for who he is. When I do this, you will know that I am the Lord. Well, dear people, it's time to close. God is calling us today to be heralds of hope. Heralds of hope. We find ourselves living in the midst of many seemingly hopeless situations. And yet God has entrusted each one of us with the powerful, life-giving word. I ask you this morning, what are you doing with that? Are you faithfully, are you purposefully taking that life-giving word to others? I just want to challenge each one of us personally and also as a congregation as we go into this new year to take that to heart, to put that maybe higher on our list of priorities, to simply be faithful in presenting the word of life, sharing a word of hope that comes from Jesus Christ, sharing that with those around us and allow God to do the rest. Allow God to use those seeds 
in people's lives uh, to start to, to blossom and to grow. It may be our prayer that fruit will develop and fruit will be, uh, become obvious from that. But we leave that to God. Our responsibility is to share the word. Okay, let's sing a song together. I would like for us to sing the song, Breathe on Me, Breath of God. Uh, Roland, you can lead that.